Okay, before we get started here with prayer, and I believe if you want to go ahead and get your book, uh, we're on page 61 of Dr. Kurt Marquardt's The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People, Professor Marquardt, Faith and Works. Uh, before we get started, um, good to be back with you. Uh, some of you probably have heard that I was out of town this last week. About 12, maybe it's 13 years ago, I was invited by a couple of pastor, LCMS pastor friends, to go on a golf trip. And they've been taking a golf trip uh, every year for, as of today, almost 30 years. And uh, it's like a week long. And so when I first told my wife about this, she said, you're not going to go play golf for a week. <laughs> you know, why don't you just go for two or three days? And so the first year I went for two or three days, and then uh, I think my wife realized how much I enjoyed it and how uh, helpful I was when I returned home that she let me go <laughs> an extra day the year after that, and then an extra day after that. And so, uh, so I don't know, I don't even know how many years now I've been going for the full seven days. So long story short, uh, these guys have been going uh, down to uh, uh, Fairfield Bay, Arkansas. Anybody know where that's at? Greer's Ferry Lake. Beautiful country. Um, about two hours north of where I used to serve down in uh, Bryant, Arkansas. And uh, they just rent condos down there and the, the mountain ranch, the condos are right on the course and they let us, uh, uh, it's a dry county, and so they let the Lutheran pastors and their friends bring, you know, lemonade and Kool-Aid, <laughs> if you catch my drift. And uh, so th this is not a golf trip. If you're a pietist, we need to talk. Uh, so we, we, had a, we had a great time. Although I find as I get older, um, I, I, I find myself going to bed earlier, and I came home with a, a lot more lemonade and Kool-Aid than, than I normally do. So I don't know what that tells you, but the golf was great. We wake up in the morning, play golf, and we averaged uh, 54 holes a day for five days. And the other day it rained, and we only got 36 in. And then the other day was Ryder Cup Day, which was a lot of fun, and we got 36 in that one. Everybody was mentally and physically drained. So a lot of golf, so good to be back with you, uh, and uh, thanks for letting me get away. So, okay, any questions about golf trip before we get into the... Now you know all the dirt. You, you know it all. I'm, I'm an open book. I've always told you that. Yes, ma'am. When did the wife move to Hurley? <laughs> so, no, that's a great question. So here's what normally happens. Since she's a school teacher... Uh, the first, the week before school starts is when teachers will have in-service and meetings. And so normally that week I will take the boys camping uh, or something like that. It just so happens that this year, because school starts a week earlier out here than what we've been used to, that was the week we had planned for vacation with all of her family in Branson, Missouri. So I will have most of the boys that week down in Branson, Missouri. So that's, that's her week. So... But if you ask her what she would do on her vacation, it would have nothing to do with golf. <laughs> so, she's way too competitive. So, that's a different discussion we don't want to get into. Okay. Can you see my book so you can get to the right page? Okay. All right. Any other questions for me? Good to be back. Thanks, Pastor Ullman, for filling in last week. Really appreciate that. So, and uh, Pastor Grady, um, you didn't get very far in the Bible study, so I feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, since you never fail to help and govern those whom you nurture in your steadfast fear and love, work in us a perpetual fear and love of your holy name. 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so faith and works uh, is where we're at. And uh, th this does have a little something to do with, um, there's nothing wrong with being a pious person. A pious person is one who is devoted to, you might say, the holy and needful things that God provides. A pious person prays. A pious person goes to church. Okay? A pious person helps their neighbor. A pious person is a good husband, a good father, a good child, a good employer, a good employee. A pious person is one who is focused on the words of God and on God's gifts. A pietistic person is someone who is looking at what they are doing first in relation to God. And you've heard me use the term navel-gazer, right? You look inward at yourself. Look at how much I'm going to church. Look at how much I'm putting in the offering plate. Look at how much I'm helping the neighbor. You see where that comes from? Pietism then measures itself as if climbing Jacob's ladder, right? I don't know why it's called Jacob's ladder, because it wasn't his ladder. The ladder came from heaven, and the angels came down from heaven, so it's really not Jacob's ladder, it's God's ladder, okay? He opened heaven to Jacob just as he opens it to you, okay? But when you start to fall into the, this pietistic nonsense, you believe that I can slowly climb one ring at a time, and my life is all about getting better. Oh, I'm doing so well right now right? I'm getting so much better at being a Christian. And that's a bunch of nonsense. Because first and foremost, you're a poor, miserable sinner. Secondly, it's all God's work of what he does to you, of restoring you, okay? Which now brings a great freedom. And this is what a lot of Christians don't get. And so we're going to hear Professor Marquardt talk a little bit about what Luther was accused of, of allowing sin, right? And oh, Luther, that drunken German monk drinking beer all the time and, and you know, going on a seven-day golf vacation. He should have been volunteering at the soup kitchen. Where does he think he's going to go when he dies? You know, that sort of nonsense, okay? Here we go. Faith and works. Although faith alone justifies, justifying faith is never alone. Underlined or highlight that, write it down, stick it in your back pocket, put it on your mirror when you wake up in the morning. Although faith alone justifies, justifying faith is never alone. For faith is not a lazy opinion or a piece of dead mental furniture. A faith that does not produce love and good works is dead. James 2 verse 26. It is simply no faith at all. Early service people, look in our gospel text for the word compel. Oh, that word compel, that's anig. Oh, I think I wrote it down. I don't have my Greek text up here. The word compel. Um, yeah, onig kason. Okay, onig kason. The master sends out the servant to literally compel the people to come. Now, we use this word in our Lutheran confessions, and it's um, uh, admonish. Uh, it is also, oh, what's the other word? Um, this is the... Uh, encouragement to good works. What's that word, pastor? Pastors. Huh? Implore. Exhort. Thank you. Yeah, exhort. Uh, exhort to good works. 
So we do talk about good works. You should have examples of what good works are. You should be encouraged. You should be held accountable in many and various ways. Okay? Uh, so a faith that does not produce love and good works is dead. Uh, that is simply no faith at all. Real faith is spiritual life. And that's another good little sentence. Real faith is spiritual life. It is that spirit-created wellspring from which flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman there in John 7, and this is the rivers of living water, the water that's going to bubble up and it's going to produce good life. So, so you have something at work within you, extranos, meaning outside of yourself. So when you're hearing the Word of God, you're receiving His gifts, uh, the Holy Spirit is like the little engine that could, right? The Holy Spirit is just, just keeps working on you, um, and sometimes in ways that you don't even recognize, right? Uh, in the same way that you may not know what to pray for, and the Holy Spirit does what? Intercedes for you how? With words and, you know, the rest of that Bible verse? Groanings, right, that you can't comprehend. So the Holy Spirit's at work. And so you're, you're, you're not on your own. So all of the, 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 the didymus, all of the power, okay? Uh, uh, Greek word didymus is power. Uh, uh, that, that root is, is partly where we get the word dynamite from, okay? Um, so all of the power, and if, if, if you're into horsepower and machines or just, you know, power in general, you know, you, you got to, you know, you plug an appliance into the kitchen, you expect to turn the mixer on to do what? Spin around. So when you're baptized, when you hear God's word, when you come to the banquet, when you receive the body and blood, there is power now. You might say there's electrical current, if you want to think of it that way, that's flowing through you. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. All right? And not only that, if you read the rest of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith, then it goes on to talk about good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. So if you're still alive, raise your hand if you're still breathing. <laughs> if you're still breathing, God has good works still prepared for you to do that you don't even know what they are. You have no idea. And sometimes, and this is where, you know, we get a little, thank you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> you know, he surprises you with opportunities to do good works or things you'd never planned for, Okay. I mean, if you had asked me this time last year, did I plan on being in Zionsville, Indiana, I would tell you, no. I mean, I didn't. This wasn't anywhere on my radar. Nowhere close. Okay? Um, matter of fact, when Monty first called me, I was on the golf course. <laughs> I should, have I ever told you that story? So I'm up at a pastor's conference. It's a continuing education the, uh, event. Uh, one of the professors from our seminaries uh, and not just our, our two, some of the United States, sometimes St. Catharines, we've had, I think, professor from Brazil and, Brazil and Europe, a little town called Ainsworth, Nebraska. Raise your hand if you know where Ainsworth, Nebraska is. And there's a, there's a pastor there, yeah, you know, and uh, uh, do, uh, Reverend Dr. George Williams. And he got his PhD, I think, in the classics uh, from University of Lincoln or something, or Nebraska. Uh, anyway, he brings in a professor each year for like two and a half days. So it's a Sunday night, a Monday, and a Tuesday. And it's an opportunity for pastors kind of in the middle part, uh, you know, especially in that area. They have a hard time getting to one of the seminaries because it's so far away. So these professors come out and they teach. 
um, and that sort of thing. And, and then, you know, some of us in between the presentations will go out and play golf. Uh, and uh, so that's what I was doing when you called, Monty. I don't know if I ever told you that. Uh, and he said, would you be willing to have your name on a call list? Remember what I said? I said, no. No, I'm not interested. I, I'm dealing with another call right now, and I, I don't want to deal with another call, and I'm really not interested in moving. And you, do you want to know what your head elder said? Or he, yeah, you're still head elder. Oh, you got another day. Um, <laughs> You remember what you said? Tell everybody what you said. I said, uh, another call at the same time. That's not exactly what you said. <laughs> he said something to the effect of, you're not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It was great. It, it, was, it, was, it was one of the best, uh, I mean, uh, the best things I've heard out of a layman's mouth. Um, <laughs> you're not the Holy Spirit pastor, and if the Lord wants you to be our pastor, then you'll be our pastor. So, God bless you, hit it straight. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> You don't remember that, do you? I remember that. So, I mean, I got put in my place, and rightfully so. So, you need to be ready to be put in your place at various times. So, faith and works go together. And so, the Holy Spirit sometimes is going to lay stuff on you that you, you just never would have planned for. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for a Christian to struggle with. Now, you have to trust that you're free in the gospel. So I was perfectly free to, I mean, return this call, stay there. I mean, the Lord gives you lots of options. Pick one. He will bless you and provide for you regardless. You might have heard the story about Luther. Somebody asked Martin Luther. They said, if, if, if you knew that uh, uh, Jesus was going to come back, you know, like tomorrow morning, what would you do with the rest of your day now? And he, he scratched his beard, he took a swig of his beer, and he said, well, I told Katie I would go plant a couple trees in the orchard for her today. So I guess I'm going to go plant a couple of trees. Think about that. He's just going to keep on doing the work that was in front of him to do. That's a great answer. Okay. Questions before we move on? Comments? So like St. Paul, and that's from Romans 3.8, and let's look, can we look up Romans 3.8 real quick? Because there's some good text. Romans 3, verse 8. You weren't ready for me to do that, were you? Sorry. So I'll read the sentence here, and then we'll come back to it. So like St. Paul, Luther's Reformation has often been accused, uh, accused of encouraging sin and discouraging good works. Okay, so Romans 3.8, let's read it together. Actually, let's go, go scroll back up just a little bit. Whoa, hello. Okay, I'll go, go to 5, start at, start at 5. Let's, let's read through 8 together, you ready? But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the word? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, 
their condemnation is just. So a couple of things are going on here in, in Romans. Paul is talking about those who are accusing uh, Christians, you know, born-again Christians, of doing what? Of still being sinners. Okay? And Paul's like, uh, well, <laughs> their condemnation is just. Because we are still what? Sinners. Okay? Uh, and that's why I've kind of been hammering this only because it's been in so many of our texts the last few months. And that's what's known as the simul. Simul justus et peccator. Simultaneously uh, just and simultaneously full of sin, a sinner. So you're two things at the same time. Roman Catholicism denies this. Not all Reformed, but most Reformed deny this. Okay? Lutherans are kind of stuck in the middle because we say you can be two completely different things at the same time. This is why Paul says, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Okay? Early service people go back and reference the epistle text from today that talks a little bit about the two that now become one. Okay, Because we are born sinful, we're spiritually dead, and so we need to be, we need to be, we do need to be born again, but all of that is connected to Christ who is the life of the world, right? So he's the only new life. So when we talk about baptism being robed, you know, uh, when you're baptized, and we read this verse every time at the beginning of a funeral, uh, and we use the funeral Paul, uh, that this person has been robed with the righteousness of Christ. This very sinful body, which is dead because of sin, by the way, is now robed with Christ. Therefore, this person is a new creation, and they yet live. They yet live. Okay? A good friend of mine, Pastor Scott Porath, uh, it's Monday, where last week we're playing golf, and he gets a phone call, had a dear member in the congregation die. Okay? And he comes to talk to a couple of us other pastors and says, uh, you know, what do you guys think? And we said, you're on vacation, man. You know, you can't do anything for the guy who's dead. Uh, so just tell him you're on vacation and do the funeral on Saturday. And, well, of course, that's what we would say. And, uh, and, and I, I love him for this. He, he didn't have an associate or retired pastors as congregation. And he told the family, whenever you want to have the funeral, he said, and he told his wife in the funeral, don't tell him I'm on, on vacation. And that, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, So he, he left uh, you know, his vacation, golf vacation early, to go back and do a funeral uh, on Thursday. And, and I would say, um, not that every pastor would have to do that, there's different circumstances, but that's, that's a very good work. And it was something that he hadn't planned for. Uh, and it was, a great, it was a great help for this family. The church was, he said, was just completely packed and you know, and so it was a great opportunity to proclaim the gospel, right? Um, and so it's not necessarily one size fits all, but, 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 but his, his, his works that the Holy Spirit did and provided for. And so then he calls me yesterday as I'm, I'm driving back, and I have to go out to um, Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm presenting at the ACLC conference, and I'll give you that paper here in a few weeks when I finish writing it. Um, and he said, when you come out for the, this, this conference, when you present at it, he goes, we'll, we'll be sure to play a, a round of golf before or after the conference. I said, that sounds good. Let's do that. Let's do that. So.
Okay, so here's what the Reformation itself officially confesses about faith and works. You ready? Listen up. Oh, faith is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, so that it is impossible for it not to be constantly doing what is good. I love that. Faith, remember, that's the didymus. That's the power. That's the electricity, the current that's flowing through the, through the veins. That's always in you. Okay? Even when you don't feel it, it's at work. So when, when my wife was having to sit in church with three or four snot-nosed little brats, you know, who wouldn't pay attention and they're squirming, and she can't remember anything of the sermon, you know, she can't pay attention to everything, I had to remind her that that was a good work. That her being a mom, even in church, taking care of those kids, even though personally she wasn't getting a lot out of it, I had to remind her and thank her for her good work. So remember that with some of our younger families with kids. Okay, offer to help every now and then. But also let them do the good works that God's given them to do. I'm glad they've all grown up and they can wipe their own behinds now and, uh, and, and for the most part are slowly becoming responsible <coughs> young men. Okay, so faith does not ask if good works are to be done, but before one can ask, faith has already done them and is constantly active. Okay. Whoever does not perform such good works is a faithless man, blindly tapping around in search of faith and good works without knowing what either faith or good works are. And in the meantime, he chatters and jabbers a great deal about faith and good works. Okay. So you shouldn't have to really be told what good works are. You should be uh, exhorted, uh, compelled, reminded, I mean, to do them, to look for the Lord's you know, and the Spirit's guidance in various ways. The, my dad always talked about open doors. Maybe you've kind of heard that in your family as well. You know, and you've got a couple doors that are open, you've got to decide what door I'm going to go through. Or maybe there's a door you want to go through and you're banging on it and it's closed. <laughs> it's locked. You know, and you can't force your way through it. So, you know, the, the Lord will, you know, uh, guide uh, your path in those ways. So whoever does not perform such good works is a faithless man. It is therefore as impossible to separate works from faith as it is to separate heat and light from fire. Okay, top page 62. So if this is so, however, does not the whole Reformation dispute begin to look like a mere fuss about words? After all, Rome never said that faith did not have an important part to play together with good works. And if the Reformation also insists that good works necessarily flow from faith, then do not both positions amount to the same thing? Faith plus works? What do you think about that? Before I read on, how would you answer that question? So wait a minute. You Lutherans are all about grace this and grace that, and justification is your material principle, but now you're saying you also have to do good works. So isn't that faith plus works? How would you answer that? Okay, yeah. So our faith is always in Christ, never in works, right? So faith is always, do you remember some of the catechism language? Objective, right? So objective justification meaning that faith has as its object the person work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Faith does not look subjectively to what you're doing, 
okay? Uh, except for recognizing where perhaps sin and error is, okay? So, here we go. This way of reasoning seems plausible on the surface, but breaks down upon further examination. If the debate turns on, quote, putting the cart before the horse kind of issue, and I think that's kind of what you were alluding to, it does not help to offer the solution. Well, in any case, it comes down to cart plus horse. And that's what some people would say. you still got a cart and a horse. Okay. That misses the whole point. Similarly, the Reformation debate is not settled by showing that both parties held to faith plus works in some sense. And I've heard that argument made by others. The real argument was actually about something else. Of course, Christians must do good works. There was never any question about that. The question was about why the works had to be done and how they were related to Christ's saving work on the one hand and to our faith and salvation on the other. The heart of the matter was this, and if you've got the book, you can underline it. Is salvation earned for us by Christ's work alone or also by our works? Or one may put it like this. Granted that good works are to be done, are they a cause or input which helps to bring about justification? Or are they a symptom, result, or output from a justification, salvation already received and possessed through faith? So what's the answer? It's the outcome. It's all about the outcome. Okay. So this is the problem of the tree and the fruit. So Matthew 7, verse 17, let's read that short one together. Every good tree bears good fruit. So here's the question. How then is the fruit related to the tree? Does the fruit make the tree alive? Does it? Or must the tree not rather be alive in the first place in order to produce the fruit? And if a tree is dead, it cannot be revived by having fresh fruit tied to its branches. That's an interesting picture. Thank you, Marquardt, for that. Right? I remember we, 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 had, we had this happen once. I, had a, I, I do not have green thumbs. I play golf, remember? And, um, and we had, we had a, a potted plant. We've never been able to keep plants in the house. I mean, my wife's pretty... We were just bad before the kids came along. We had this one tree... That was in a, in a, I don't know what kind of tree it was. It was in a pot thing and it sat there and it, anyway, it died. And so we're getting ready to have a party and it's too big to put in the trash can and, and I really didn't have a good place to set it outside. So, so I, I took some, some spray paint <laughs> and I took some Christmas ornaments and I made it look really cool. You know, and everybody walked in, oh, look at that. I was like, yeah, it's alive. <laughs> no, it's not. It's dead. I just printed it up, right? Uh, so it's, it's really dead on the inside, okay? I don't know why I thought of that. It was, really wasn't the same thing, but close enough. So if a tree is dead, it cannot be revived by having fresh fruit tied to its branches, yet a living tree will produce fruit from within. This is why Luther maintained that good works do not make a man good, but a good man does good works. Persons make works good, not the other way around. So consider a Christmas tree and a living tree. The former is at first glance much more impressive. Decked out with all sorts of gaudy ornaments or spray paint, it makes a living fruit tree look very ordinary and dull by comparison. Yet the Christmas tree is dead beside the shiny trinkets. And if you, if you get live Christmas trees, and we, we normally do, my wife won't allow, that was the only fake tree. Well, it wasn't really a fake tree. It was, a, it was just spray paint. 
But uh, anyway, so we go cut a Christmas tree every year. Um, and you can tell after two, three, four weeks that it's dead. How do you know? The needles everywhere, right? That are just, they trying to, and then they get caught in the vacuum cleaner, or depending on your type of carpet, they get wound up and they end up in the craziest places, right? So make sure you check those living room floor vents. You know, you never know what you might find down there from a year or two before. So, uh, yet the Christmas tree is dead despite the shiny trinkets. The humble fruit tree is still gloriously alive. Just so, Pharisaic religiosity may deck itself out in all sorts of impressive good works. But like the Christmas tree, the Pharisee remains dead inside. Okay, and let's go to Matthew 23, 25 to 28. Okay, that's a good little text. Okay, if you're, if you're a Joel Osteen fan, I will pray for you. Um, and, and we also will need to talk because he spends a lot of time, you know, you've heard his slogan about the best life now, and it's all about finding now peace and comfort in what you can achieve, and, you know, it's really looking to get certain things in order. Um, and while there's a little bit of truth to that, it's really very far from the precious gospel uh, of, of what God has done in Jesus Christ for you, and what God also promises to do through the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, that does not require uh, your work, okay? So let's, let's read 25 to 28. Here we go. You ready? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. And all. i got to stop right here. You know, this. I was talking with somebody last week, and they're like, oh, pastor, you, you've got to stop addressing certain errors or hot-button social topics. And you need to realize that we as Christians, we just need to love each other and get along. Do I need to say any more? How does Jesus deal with those who cling to error? What does he do? What did he, what did he just say? I mean, he calls them hypocrites, right? I mean, there's an explanation point there. He, he, he compares and says, they're outwardly beautiful, but you're like dead people's bones, right? I mean, you're dead. And let's read 28 together. And this is Jesus talking, right? Right? Uh, Jesus, you know, I love you and I give my heart to... Sorry. My praise song moment there. Here we go. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus gets down to business many times. Now he's giving them the law, and why do they need the law? To, so they know what sin is. Because, you know, I mean, this is idolatry in, in some respects. I mean, there's a couple of commandments here that Jesus would be addressing. Um, but it's kind of like the Samaritan woman at the well who's living with a man that's not her husband. And what does Jesus do? He brings it up. Ooh, he talks to her about her sin. Oh, 
we need to learn to talk about our own sin <laughs> and confess that. And if you're struggling with that, that's why you've got two of these guys right here who are sworn to not divulge anything you're dealing with to anyone but the man upstairs. You got it? You need to know that. And you also need to know that God calls us Christians to love one another and to bear with one another in love. So don't just ignore sin in your loved ones, your friends. you got to deal with it somehow in some way. Okay? Um, I'm going to share one personal thing with you. And I, I have not handled it well, and I'm still figuring out how to go about doing it. And that's my older brother, okay, who is an active, practicing homosexual, left his wife about a year and a half, two years ago, 30 years of marriage, came home, over-the-road truck driver, said, Honey, I met somebody in Texas. She was thinking it was a woman. It was a man. And he said, I've been homosexual the whole time. I just never really admitted to it. He's got three kids, seven, eight grandkids. And, uh, and I, oh boy, I talked with him right away. <laughs> um, and I, I still try and call him once a month. But I'm avoiding the topic. You, you picking up what I'm laying down? I want him to know that I still love him and care for him because I do. He's my brother. I do not approve. Let me, re, let me rephrase that. God does not approve of his actions and lifestyle, okay? My concern is that his rejection of God's word is going to lead where? Now, you know, so, but we've got to find ways, and it's, it's hard work, all right? It, it's hard work, but that's also good works that God has prepared, or maybe not prepared, but brought to us or allowed us to deal with, okay? So I don't, I don't have, I mean, don't, I mean, you, you, you come to, I'm going to counsel you from Scripture. Sometimes, you know, you, you go forward on faith, trying different things and, and a path forward, but it all comes back at least to the truth. Jesus, he addresses the truth. Same guy who takes a whip and goes into the temple and drives out the money changer. Right? That'd be like somebody today walking into Walmart, pulling out their concealed carry. I mean, can you imagine? And that's what Jesus does in the temple. So, you know, we, we have to wrap our heads around the law gospel side of it. We also have to think clearly about it. We have to continue to love. The greatest faith, hope, and love, love abides. But love also manifests itself through the death of Christ. And love also means that <laughs> you know, it's tough. Okay, comments on that? Okay, if you know what I should do, just you let me know, please. Oh, who we got? Who? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't see it. Yeah, that's a good one from Revelation. Yeah. 
right? You know, the problems have, 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 of course, always been there, right? I mean, sin has been around since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, okay? Um, is it getting worse? I don't know. I've read and studied different, I mean, academics on that, and you know, I, 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 I look at world events. I mean, when I, when I hop in my, my truck coming to and from church or home, um, you know, I, I flip on a couple of news channels, you know, and I just like to get the news cycle really quick. I don't like to listen to the, the long, drawn-out debates. Just give me the news that's happening really quick and let me have some facts um, and, and then read some stuff online when I get a chance. Um, I, I think the best way to respond would be that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature is first and foremost always trying to create a different idol for us. So the first commandment is you shall have no other gods, right? So the proper way to assess this is, is what is now the most important thing for you? And what it may be for you may not be for me or your neighbor, your brother, or your sister, right? So homosexuality is just one sexual sin, you know? I mean, the other thing you've got, you know, young couples that aren't getting married and just living together. I mean, sex has always been around, premarital sex, that's always been around. People will always struggle with that. Uh, you know, the, the Lord offers forgiveness to those who simply say, hey, I screwed up. And, uh, and now you get a chance to start fresh. So I tell young brides who haven't had a great past, you can wear white if you're sorry. If you're going to tell me that you can do whatever you want with whoever you want, then we, we need to have a little more talking going on here and a little more God's Word, you see that? So there's always the opportunity for repentance, and we forget that. You know, it's as if, you know, we hold people up to a standard, you know, and they're struggling with whatever it is. They're struggling with their sexuality or they're struggling with alcoholism. They're struggling with a food addiction. They're struggling with, you know, they're addicted to... I mean, fill in the blank, you know, um, and I think in some way, shape, or form, I mean, we're, we are addicted to sin. So what sin or sins are you struggling with that you're addicted to? That's what you got to diagnose. And now Jesus comes and he says, the victory has been won for you. And there's freedom now that's going to come from that. And I'm going to help you overcome that. And so don't sweep it into the bed. Don't give in to it. Um, and, you know, the, the, the culture will always be the culture. I mean, look at what happened with all the apostles. Almost all of them martyred for their faith. Are we getting into more of those times? Possibly. I don't think we're there yet. Mayor Pete is a very charismatic... Oh, Mayor Pete. Here we go. Okay. I'm real careful when it comes to talking politics, if you know. So, what, what's your question? Do I have any thoughts about... No. I, from what, I, I, don't, I haven't talked to the guy personally. I mean, so I can't, I, you know, I have a hard time, you know, I mean, I, I see, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Thanks for this question. News stories, regardless of where they come from, are, are, are I mean, you're, you're always dealing with, you know, unless you're dealing with like direct quotes, I mean, you're always dealing with kind of secondary material, Right. So as I always tell people, if, you, if you, you're having questions or concerns about someone, you need to go talk to them. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Don't go off of what 
you know, your sister Sally was told by her best friend Deb about, you know, Joe, the next door neighbor. Go talk to Joe. So I can't, I'm not going to answer questions about Pete. I've heard about stuff in the news, but I can't, you know, I, it, it, it doesn't sound at all like he recognizes his lifestyle is sinful or wrong. He certainly flaunts it, okay? And I'd say simply on that, that's sinful and wrong um, according to God's word, okay? Um, but I would need to talk to him, okay? All right. Ooh, oh, wow. <laughs> well, God did promise. He put a bow in the sky. He said there'd never be another flood. Uh, we're going to go visit that ark, by the way, in the Creation Museum here sometimes. Maybe, maybe this week. We'll see. Um, yeah, it was bad. You know, we don't know how many people, you know, it's, it's fun listening to some of the Old Testament experts. You know, I've heard as low of numbers like 30,000 people and as high as maybe 150,000 that were alive at that time. But regardless, that's a big loss of life, that only eight souls were saved. You know, every inclination of a man's heart was evil, sinful all the time. Um, and so now just as that uh, ark saved Noah and his family, so God says baptism saves you. So hang on to that. So when you start getting worried about your own sin or your struggles... Simply pinch yourself, you know, am I saved? Is, am I going to go to hell? You know, am I baptized? That's the question. And if you are, then you can with confidence say what? You can say the words of Scripture. I'm saved. Right? Okay. What do we got here? Twelve minutes? Okay. I was trying to get, get too off topic there. I'm sorry about that. Okay. All right. So we are on... So the real argument was about something else. Of course Christians must do good works. There was never any question about that. The question was about why the works had to be done and how they were related to Christ's saving work on the one hand and to our faith and salvation on the other. The heart of the matter was this. Is salvation earned for us by Christ's work alone or also by our works? And, or one may put it like this. Granted that good works are to be done, are they a cause or input? Nope. Um, are they a symptom, result, or output? Yes. Okay, and then we went through and talked a little bit about the tree. This is why Luther maintained, bottom of the next paragraph, that good works do not make a man good, but a good man does good works. Persons make works good, not the other way around. And then we talked about a Christmas tree and a living tree. We read Matthew 23, 25 to 28, and now we're at the bottom of page 62. By contrast, genuine Christian faith is modest, not given to display. Yet faith, Galatians 5, 6, let's read that together, expressing itself through love. And that's why that word love is a really important word, right? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's, this, that's the first table of the law. And Jesus in, in Matthew, uh, what is it, 24, says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a law gospel thing, right? Love is a care and concern. The good Samaritan goes and deals with the injury, binds up the wounds. So what's the injured area? How do we properly diagnose what's going on and what treatment is there for it? To say that there's no injury or there's no sin 
is not good. That just results in, in, in death, certainly not in healing, okay? So faith expressing itself through love busily serves God and man, even though its real life remains hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3, verse 3, okay? Faith, then, top of page 63, wears two distinct hats. So under its justification hat, it simply takes hold of Christ's saving work, right? So everything now, you're, you're, you're taking hold of Christ, uh, which he gives you access to. So remember, he has been, uh, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is continuously interceding before the Father. Uh, we have this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, so... Um, no man can come to the Father except by me, Jesus says, right? So everything is through Jesus. So it's not through Muhammad, it's not through Mary, it's not through yourself, it's not through, you know, pastor so-and-so and pastor so-and-so or whatever. It's only through Jesus, okay? Um, so these two hats must not be... Uh, oh, wait, wait. Blah, 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 blah. Faith then wears two quite distinct hats. Under justification hat, it simply takes hold of Christ's saving work. Under the sanctification hat, faith actively produces love and good works. These two hats must not be confused. Faith justifies not because of the love and good works which indeed follow under faith's sanctification hat, but only because faith alone can and does receive the other one's righteousness which saves us. So what Marquardt is getting away from here is the horse and the cart analogy, right? So the horse and the cart always connected. Now he's talking about hats, okay? So they're, they're still hats you wear, but they're not connected in the same way. Just, just kind of think through how he's addressing this. So these two hats must not be confused. Faith justifies not because of the love and good works which indeed follow, but only because faith alone can and does receive that other one's righteousness which saves us. So when Luther's opponents had to admit that according to the New Testament, it is faith that justifies and saves, they took refuge in a special notion of faith, the so-called formed faith, okay, or uh, fide formata. The idea was that faith had no saving power in and of itself, but received this power from the love and good works it produced. Faith then saves because it is formed or given saving content and power by love. Now, this is quite topsy-turvy. So, did I tell you about the, the, the Roman Catholic, the ex-Roman Catholic priest I used to play golf with in St. Louis? Have I, did I tell the whole Bible class that story? I did? Okay, thank you. So, a little short guy, served at the Vatican, Roman Catholic priest, ceased being a priest, uh, to marry his childhood sweetheart, settle down in St. Louis, and when I'm at seminary, we were trying to get actually a golf team going. They'd never had one before, I don't know why, and, uh, and so he and I played a lot of golf together, and so he explained the concept of grace to me as this like covering, coat of arms, armor that you put on, you know, and when you're living in a state of grace, then because of the power that's infused in it, um, you know, it's kind of like the, those, uh, what's that machine? How many of you seen the Matrix movies? Most of you? So, you know, in Zion, they've got these big machines, you know, right? And they raise their arms and they shoot the crazy alien, not alien, the uh, computer bug things. And so it gives you this extra power, you know, and ability. 
And, uh, and so that's how he explained what living in the state of grace was for a Roman Catholic. And then every time you sin, okay, it would be either a mortal sin or a venial sin. Okay, so those were different. So with just a little sin, you, you might lose like your shin protector. <laughs> with a really bad sin, you know, you might lose like half your armor, right? So it's like a video game, you know, you got to go get filled up again. So then you go to confession, then you go to the mass, you do these things, and you build it back on. Complete misunderstanding, you know, of the Didymus and what the Didymus is for, the power. Okay, just hang on to that. Okay, so... Um, faith saves because it grasps His works, not ours. So faith is never looking to what we're doing with what God gives us. It's always looking to what Christ has done. So faith's relation to justification on the one hand and sanctification on the other is not even-handed. It may be illustrated by a well-known fable. A dog took a piece of meat to a creek. Seeing the reflection of the meat in the water, the dog wanted to grab the reflection as well. But as soon as he opened his jaws to snatch the reflected meat, he lost both the meat and the reflection. Now just think about that for a second. So it is with faith and works. If by true faith we hold on to Christ's forgiveness, we have both justification and its reflection, which is sanctification. If we want to have sanctification by ourselves or for its own sake, then we lose both it and its source, justification. You ever taken a laser pointer and played with a cat before? It's really mean. So when we say that sanctification follows upon justification, however, we're, we are talking not about time, but about logical order. It is not as if we were justified first for a time, and then after a certain probationary period, received the second blessing of sanctification. There is never a split second when true justifying faith does not also produce love. That's why the thief on the cross begins to express love and good works as soon as he has come to faith. Okay? He defends the reputation of Jesus okay? and, and, and uh, confesses his faith. Okay. All right, I got four minutes on my watch, so let's uh, take a few questions or comments if you have any about this justification and sanctification thing, about cats and laser pointers. Golfing stories you might want to share. Yes, sir. So why is it so hard for the Church to Oh, why is it so hard for the Catholic Church to understand that? Why is it so hard for my older brother to recognize his sin? When you look outside of, of God, when you're looking outside of God's word. You're, you're, you're never going to arrive anywhere. It's like a debate that I was um, invited to attend, and I did. It was at Hastings College. It was probably 10 years ago. And uh, the uh, local uh, LGBT group contacted me. Um, nice, nice young men and women. They were very respectful, and I appreciate them for that. Matter of fact, one of their members actually played organ for us for a while, was a substitute organist. Had some very interesting conversations. Some of you might uh, kick me out of the church for some of that, but, uh, um, and they said, hey, would you come debate homosexuality? I said, sure, I'll come do it, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now, my grounds for debate are going to be from 
I'm not going to be using medical studies, journals, psychology. I'm not going to bring my, you know, my current DSM manual. Um, I don't have an updated one on the shelf anyway. Some of you medical professionals can help me out with that. I can just order one, I know. But, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to go to Scripture. Because that's where my faith and my beliefs are founded. And they said, that's okay. You know? And it was actually, it was actually a pretty tame debate. <laughs> but we also didn't get anywhere. It was kind of a head-banging experience. So I shared all the scripture that deals with homosexuality, you know, um, you know, but they don't believe it, right? So, <laughs> you know, this is why it's, it's difficult, and, you know, and that's why we can need, continue to need, we need to continue to deal with the apologetic task of, of, of how to uh, preach and teach this to the culture, or, or connect, maybe explain might be the better word. I mean, first, we just have to continue to, to stand by what God's Word says, right? Um, and hope that people will respect us as we have freedom of religion, you know, for that. You know, and that goes back to your question. You know, where, 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 where are we going to go with that? You know, I don't know. I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope nowhere. I, I hope, you know, our country continues to maintain a separation of church and state. Um, you know, the, the Supreme Court just recently upheld, like, as, as ministers of the gospel, we're allowed, you're, we're allowed to designate a portion of our salary as housing allowance, which is non-taxable. And they recently upheld that, which is great. That's a real blessing. But they did it on the basis of separation of church and state. Okay, now... There's some other legislation coming up that might do. I don't know where we're going to go with that, so we'll see. Good, good? No, you don't like that answer. The Bible. It just comes down to the Bible. So Roman Catholics don't just use the Bible. What do they use? The Bible plus tradition or church decisions. And we have to be careful of that in the Missouri Synod. We're getting ready to send this guy over here and his beautiful wife down to Florida for a vacation. It will not be a vacation, brother. Make sure you take time to spend with your wife because you'll need it. Uh, 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 national conventions can be very tiring and a little depressing at times um, because even we have to be careful that in the church that when you start quoting constitution and bylaws, you know, over the Bible, what's what becomes more important? Constitution and bylaws. Well, we as a synod decided we adopted resolution 4.1b-5678. Back in 1982, therefore, you know, and somebody stands up and says, hey, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't right according to Scripture. Oh, no, no, don't bring the Bible in here. We adopted it unanimously. The voters rule supreme, right? They're more important than God, right? So the Missouri Senate has made mistakes. You need to know that. I mean, it has, and it will, because it's a visible church, okay? I mean, it just will. That's like, you know, any of us saying Advent is the perfect church. It's not. I knew that coming in here. I knew you had some skeletons in the closet. I knew we had stuff that needed to be worked on. That's every church. Your family's the same way at home. So is mine. That's called being sinners. You know, but yet we're saints. And so, so the gospel is there. So I would say it comes back to what your basis is, which is God's word. Okay? Any other burning questions? We're out of time. Nothing that can't wait till next week or call me on my phone.
Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Good stuff, guys. Thank you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.